You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Now, uh, I don't know what your first job was as uh, as as maybe a teenager or uh, older uh, into your uh, young adult life, but uh, my first job was as a salesman uh, of a newspaper. I went door to door selling the newspaper, and um, I was thinking back about uh, some of the different experiences that I had and I've had in my life with salespeople. And uh, as a young teenager, I found great success early on, kind of the cute, you know. Uh, 15, 16 year old teenager bopping down the street selling newspapers. Uh, it was great. People wanted to, um, you know, back then, uh, it sounds so crazy to even say this that people bought the newspaper. Whereas today, I'm like trying to figure out how do I get people to stop delivering the newspaper in my driveway? Um, and uh, so basically, I don't just drive over it and then it gets wet and then it like disintegrates in my driveway. And uh, I don't know if you have that problem, but. Um, back in the day, we used to sell the newspaper, and people used to pay for it. Now they don't pay for it; they just throw it at, at your at your door. But uh, thinking about sales experiences, we have some folks in our church uh, who are sales um, background. Some of you have done that in your past, and you know, I, I think the the thing that that really there are techniques about uh, how to be a good salesperson, uh, but uh, the the thing that really makes or breaks a salesperson is the product that they sell. Uh, and I know this is true uh, because if I go to a grocery store and outside that grocery store are the Boy Scouts selling their popcorn, I tend to avoid them and continue walking to my car. However, if I go outside the grocery store and the Girl Scouts are there with those Thin Mints uh, or with those peanut butter chocolate cookies uh, or, or your, whatever your favorite Girl Scout cookie is, Odds are, I'm going to be compelled to go over, uh, and they don't even have to sell it to me. I'll, I'll sell it to myself. Uh, I'll buy it from them. Or when they come to my door and they've got the wagon full uh, of cookies, and they say, do you want some cookies? And I don't need the cookies, but I want the cookies, right? Like, the product sells itself. Um, and, you know, today we're going to talk about what it means to be missionaries and what it means to communicate the gospel. And, and I want to be clear that I think wrongly sometimes we think that being a missionary or, or being a Christian who shares the gospel, it feels like being a salesperson. We're trying to sell somebody something or, or we're some kind of recruiter. We're trying to get people on our team. That, that's not the case at all. That's not the, the vision that I think the Bible gives us of what it means to be a missionary or even what God's calling us to as we think about being a family on mission. And the gospel isn't, isn't a product. Uh, the church isn't just a, a club that we're trying to recruit people to. Um, and yet, I, I want us today, as we think about what it means to be missionaries, to take our eyes off the technique for a bit and to turn our eyes to the, to the content of what we share. It, it, it's so easy sometimes to get caught up, and we need help uh, at times thinking through how to share. But today, I, I want us to, to be reminded of, of what we share and how God works through the message of the gospel, sometimes in spite of us. But he always works through the gospel when we as his people are willing to just open our mouths and tell others about Jesus. And so uh, I want us to see uh, in Acts 16, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 34, that God wants to use you and I. He wants to use us 
right where we're at to make known the gospel to others. I, I really want you to believe that and to, and to have that conviction as you think about your life, and not just in this year, but just who God has called you to be and what he's called you to do as a church family together, not just individuals, but together as a church family. God has, has called us to be his missionaries, and he wants to use us right where we're at to make known the gospel to others. And we see that in Acts 16, verses 23 through 34. I can't unpack all of the, uh, the background in depth, but basically in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas taking the gospel into Macedonia. God has, by his spirit, led them into Macedonia to, uh, to take the gospel uh, to, uh, to these people and, and to spread the word uh, of the gospel in this region. Um, and, and he's done this in a, in a really a profound way. We see the power of the gospel, how it brings together people from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds, social backgrounds, um, religious backgrounds. We see that the gospel comes to a wealthy woman named Lydia, who's a seller of, um, of garments, a dealer in, in cloth, who most likely is from an Asian background who's come to Philippi, which was a Roman uh, city of uh, great uh, importance at the time, and she's in the synagogue. She's a God-fearer. Paul comes and is sharing the gospel, and many people want to hear, and Lydia uh, has her ears opened and hears the gospel, and then she hosts Paul and Silas, and, and, and you can begin to see the church being formed, perhaps even in Lydia's household. And then one day it says that Paul and Silas were on their way to prayer, and there was this slave girl uh, who met her, most likely a Greek, uh, native Greek uh, background, who, uh, who in essence was kind of um, was provoking Paul and, and Silas. And, and it says that Paul ultimately heals her, uh, and, and she comes to her right mind and, and uh, in the name of Christ heals her. And, uh, and as she comes into her right mind, her gift of being a kind of a, uh, a future teller that she was demonically in, uh, influenced, was able to tell the future. Her, her, basically her owners were using her as a fortune teller, making money off of her. Paul and Silas heal her and in doing so undercut the business of these guys and and Philippi and and rage they they arrest Paul and Silas and they have them thrown in jail and it picks us up in Acts 16 verse 23 and it says that they were attacked uh, they were stripped of their clothes in verse 22 and they were beaten with rods in verse 23 after they had been severely flogged then they're thrown into jail and they ordered a jailer to guard them carefully Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. What would I, first thing I, I want you to see as we look at this passage is Paul and Silas in an undesirable situation. And that's really a, an understatement because they literally had just been beaten, blood on their backs, perhaps nearly beaten to death, publicly humiliated, and then their feet are put in stocks and they're put in prison. This is the situation they, they find themselves in. And it says, as they were there, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, saw the doors of the prison standing open. He draws his sword because 
He's the jailer responsible for the jailers. If the, the prisoners, if they get loose, it's his life that's on the line. He says, it's better for me to die than to face the consequence. He's getting ready to kill himself. At that moment, because he thought the prisoners had escaped, verse 28, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and escorted them out and said, Serge, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, the gospel had come to a wealthy woman named Lydia, to this servant girl um, that, that had been being used and was influenced by a demon, was, was healed transformed by the gospel. And here we have this jailer, a Roman jailer, uh, uh, if you think of it this way, a blue-collar worker who hears the gospel and is saved and the church at Philippi is born with the most unexpected group of people. This is the power of the gospel, that it changes people in ways that we can't explain, in ways that we can't manufacture because God works through the gospel. God works powerfully when His people believe that he's put them where they are for a reason and uses us <clears throat> to make known the gospel to others. I mentioned to you the undesirable situation that Paul and Silas found themselves in. When we follow Christ, we, we sometimes find ourselves in some difficult circumstances, some difficult situations. There's no guarantee as we follow Christ, especially as we seek to share Christ with others, that we won't find ourselves in some hard places. There's no guarantee as followers of Christ that the burdens and the trials and the difficulties of life won't find us too. And that's exactly uh, what's happened here to Paul and Silas. Not just the burdens of life, but the, the burdens of seeking to live for Christ have found them in this situation where their life literally is on the line. And here in their undesirable situation, I want, I want you to notice their uncommon joy. I say it's uncommon because who gets put in prison and at midnight is singing? I, 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 there's another situation in Acts, um, in Acts 12, 6, where Peter is put in prison. And, and it's somewhat understandable, and yet still even there profound, that it says Peter's put in prison and he goes to sleep. And God, God miraculously uh, delivers him from prison and, and he's released from prison, but he has to be awoken uh, to, to be told that he's being released from prison. I, I mean, I think if I get thrown in prison uh, for uh, trying to share the gospel, I, I'm, my mind's probably spinning. I mean, maybe you get so tired that you fall asleep, and, and that's what Peter did. Or perhaps there's just such confidence in that God is working all these things out that you can close your eyes and go to sleep. But, but Paul and Silas take it to another level. When their feet are put up against the fire or literally put in the stocks, at midnight, rather than sleeping of exhaustion, or, or, or you can imagine what other prisoners would have done, crying out in excruciating pain, cursing, reviling the, the guard and, and the Romans and whoever else put them there. They're not doing any of that. They're there singing. This is an uncommon joy because their joy isn't found in their circumstances that they find themselves in. Their joy is found in God. They're singing praises to God. They, they, most likely the word that it uses here, they were referencing the Psalms. They were uh, praying and singing hymns to God, perhaps in their prayer, reflecting on the Psalms, perhaps praying and singing as well. I mean, you just imagine, you know, there's Paul and he's like, hey, hey, Silas, you all right? Yeah, Silas is like, yeah, Paul, I'm good. Hey, 
Hey, let's sing. Let's sing Psalm 42. Let's sing that there is a refuge when the earth gives way and when the seas fall, when the mountains fall into the sea. Let's, let's sing that there's a refuge for us to run to. And not only, not only, really, it's probably not best to think that they just kind of strike this up, but it says that literally they were doing this, that they perhaps had been doing this since they were put into prison. You can imagine that the others were, were struck by this. Why would they be singing if they're put in prison, if they're uh, locked up, if they've been beaten in the way that they have? Surely that would shut them up. But instead, they're singing. Perhaps they were thinking of, uh, of Psalm 145, uh, where the psalmist uh, praises God uh, and, and gives thanks to God, singing uh, of His steadfast love. I exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever, for the Lord is great and highly Praised, His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. Perhaps they were singing of Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? The psalmist said, My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. So Peter, you can lay your head down and go to sleep because your protector doesn't sleep. Paul and Silas, you can sing praises to God because your protector doesn't sleep. The Lord protects you and is a shelter uh, is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm and will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and your going both now and and forevermore. Perhaps they were stirred up thinking about how the gospel had already changed the slave girl and, and Lydia, and they began to sing Psalm 96, and they said, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wondrous work among all peoples. Their heart in this moment as they're in prison, is stirred up with joy in God. Joy in God's character, who He is, His sovereignty, His, his wisdom, his, his goodness. Joy in God's promises that, that He was faithful, that He was working to make His name known great among the nations. And, 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 and then a, a confidence and a joy in God's deliverance, that God is our deliverer, that He is our helper and our protector, and to Him we look. Their heart was stirred up by thinking about God. To, to, to say it today, to, to have this type of joy, this uncommon joy, means that we don't allow our circumstances to dictate how we think about God, how we respond to God, how we respond to others, but instead we allow the gospel to inform how we respond. You see, the, the character, the promises, and the deliverance of God all come together in a beautiful way in the gospel. That good news of what God has done for us, that He hasn't left us in our sin, but He sent Jesus to die in our place and to rise from the dead and to rescue us from our sin, that our hope is in Him. That when life is out of control, God is in control. That when, when we feel despairing, that though our hearts are despairing within us, that we can awaken our souls to remember who God is, that He is our helper and our protector, that we can cry out to Him 
when all we feel like doing is crying or when we've done all the crying that we can do, we know that God hears us and sees us and knows us. This is the hope that the gospel gives those who are in Christ. And, and if you're hearing me today and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or maybe you hear me talking about the gospel and the hope that it provides, maybe you think, I don't have that, but I want that. And that's what God holds out to every single person. He made us to know Him and to enjoy Him, but, but we don't live the way He's called us to live. That's, that's sin. We've all gone our own way. We all think at times that we know best. And God in His grace doesn't leave us in that place, but He came to rescue us. He sent Jesus to, to be the sacrifice for our sins and to rise from the dead so that if we would have our eyes open to see our need and trust in Him, that He would save us. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Paul and Silas went about telling uh, those in Philippi, Lydia and the slave girl. And in just a moment, that's what they're going to tell this jailer at Philippi. Their uncommon joy wasn't just a blessing to them, but it was a testimony to others. Do you notice how it says in Acts 16, there in verse 25, that the prisoners were listening to them? In a moment, when we see the jailer's response, we'll see that he had been listening too. They no doubt had seen and heard all that had taken place with the slave girl that had been healed and perhaps had heard about um, this conversion of uh, this wealthy woman, Lydia, from Troas, and um, <clears throat> uh, who, who had come to faith in Christ. Perhaps they had heard um, all these things that were taking place. And as they saw their joy, they listened. And, and it's just a reminder to us that God often does more than we expect by how we respond to the trials we face. He does, he does more through our response to the trials we're facing as other people watch on, as other people listen in, as they hear you talk about your burdens and your struggles, as they watch you walk through your trials, as they walk, watch you walk through perhaps the way others respond to you when you seek to love and, and share the hope of the gospel with them. Sometimes when we think, I'm failing and falling apart. There's no way God can use me in my struggle and in the difficulty I'm walking through. Perhaps the very thing that you're walking through is the very means and, and tool that God wants to use to bear witness to the gospel. That's what happened here in their undesirable circumstance. Their uncommon joy led to bearing witness to others of the good news of the gospel. And as I think about this, I, I've, I've been stirred up this past week as a combination of reflecting on uh, the, uh, the life of Jim Elliott and, and the other men who with him sought to take the gospel to the Waldani tribe uh, in Ecuador who ended up um, dying as martyrs for the faith and uh, the book Becoming Elizabeth Elliot that the Women's uh, Book Club is coming up uh, at the end of this month. Just reading this just kind of reminded me and taking me back uh, to looking at Jim Elliot's life. His life has been a catalyst in my own uh, pursuit of Christ as I've read books about him and heard about his testimony. Um, I, I couldn't help but, but share this because I was reading back over uh, some things. And uh, when Jim went to college, he went to college uh, at Wheaton. And in his second year in college, uh, we have this uh, account from his journals. 
He either was reading Acts 16 or perhaps reflecting on Psalm 96, but on July 26, 1952, as, as he was uh, <clears throat> reflecting on his heart and, and his, what he sensed God's call to take the gospel to this uh, tribe, uh, to the Waodani tribe in, in Ecuador, he wrote these words. He said, Oh, for a faith that sings... Lord, give me a faith that will take sufficient quiver out of me so that I might sing over the Waodani. Father, I want to sing over the nations. That was the, the heart cry of Jim Elliot. It, it, it just strikes me as, as we think about what it means to be called as missionaries. Before we think about technique, I just want to think about the burden that we bear in our hearts for, for those that God has put around us. If, if God wants you, right where you're at, to make known the gospel to others, like let's just start by recognizing as we think about the others that God has put around us, that God created those people, those co-workers, those friends, those neighbors. God created them and wants to know them. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and desires that they might know Him. And He wants to use us to make Him known. That, that we would so be stirred that God, that we would sing over the nations. Like, like the psalmist does in Psalm 96. Like Paul and Silas do here in prison as they sing uh, to God in the presence of these prisoners and this, this guard. They sing with this uncommon joy because they want and desire others to know who it is that they bear witness to. And so, in the midst of what's taking place here, God intervenes in a miraculous way, it says, and that there's this violent earthquake that basically shakes the whole jail and perhaps shakes their uh, feet loose from the stocks that were attached to the wall, and, and the prisoners could have left. And, and I don't know if Paul sees uh, this guard or perhaps knows that this would take place, but in the midst of all of this, he calls out to the guard, who no doubt is worried about his life now as he's about to lose these prisoners. And he says, we're all here. Don't do anything. We're, we're all still here. We, we see not only their uncommon joy, but, but I, I think in a, in a very real sense, an unexpected care that Paul demonstrates for this jailer, who, who either was present and participated in their beating, or at the very least has now uh, taken over their, 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 I don't want to say care, but their keeping in prison. Here they are, the prisoners, to the one who's in prison then, saying, don't take your life. We're not going anywhere. We were unjustly put in here, but we're not going to escape. Don't take your life. We're all still here. And it says that the jailer res responds by bringing in the lights, most likely bringing in uh, <clears throat> uh, these candles or lanterns to come in to see what it all had taken place, to take stock of everything. And he's so moved in this moment that he wants to know, what must I do to be saved? And their unexpected care for this jailer led them to be able to share the undeserved grace that's found in Jesus. They say to him in the simplest of ways when he asks, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. 
And it says, no doubt, as Luke writes this as a summary of all that took place, because it says afterwards, um, <clears throat> they spoke the word uh, to everyone in the house and they explained the gospel and everyone um, who was able to believe believed and they were baptized and and the the guard who who had been in charge of their imprisonment now washes their wounds and feeds them a meal this is the power of the gospel this unexpected grace god's grace changes us it transforms us and the the grace that that he experienced led him to to rather than treat paul and silas as prisoners he treated them like family what a powerful picture that the gospel makes us like family he washes their wounds and feeds them a meal this is the power of the gospel this is the power of god's grace that changes our hearts and moves us uh, to, uh, to, to relate to one another, to be united to, to others who are radically different than us, who moments before they were, this jailer was in charge of imprisoning Paul and Silas, and now they're sharing a meal. That's the power of, of God's undeserved grace that comes to us through the gospel. So in, in this story of the Philippian jailer, we, we have these pictures of what it means to live like missionaries. We have this picture of, of what it means for us to embrace God's call on us uh, to, uh, to, to make Him known wherever we're at. I want to give you just four takeaways uh, as we think about what it means for us to be a church um, family on mission in this coming year. Uh, four things that I think Acts 16 can, can challenge us in thinking about how to live as missionaries. The, the first is to keep your joy grounded in Christ and not your circumstances. To keep your joy grounded in Christ and not your circumstances. Has anybody's life not gone how they expected over the past, I don't know, month, six months, year, two years? I, I feel like all of us have had some kind of circumstances that aren't what we wanted, aren't what we expected, are harder or worse than we imagined. We've all had to walk through difficult things, trying things. And if we locate our joy and we locate our purpose and we locate our confidence and the things that are going on around us, well, you already know this. It's not going to go well for us. God invites us to find our joy in Him. And, and listen, when your feet are put up against the fire, the only way you're going to sing about the grace of God, about the, the good news of the gospel, is if you've been soaking in the gospel. I think one of the best reminders we need to grow as missionaries, of, of, as people who bear witness to the gospel to others, who make the gospel known to others, is that we have to be people who are reminding ourselves of the gospel daily. If, if, you, want, if you want to share the gospel freely, here's, here's the number one piece of advice I can give you and that I need to remind myself of. If you want to share the gospel freely, know the gospel deeply. Keep your joy grounded in Christ and not your circumstances. That's the key for us to growing as missionaries, is to keep returning to this good news of the gospel and locating our joy, our satisfaction, our contentment, our hope, our confidence, our security in what God has done for us in Christ. Listen, if, if you've gotten off track and you've been wrapped up in what's going on and the, the circumstances seem overwhelming, can I just tell you, God is gracious in reminding us of this. It's not heavy-handed that He reminds us of this. He, he is 
he is patient, he is gentle, he is, uh, he is gracious to us in bringing us back, reminding us of the gospel. So believer, be encouraged and be reminded of the gospel and keep coming back to it, dwelling on it. Remember God's promises. Remember his character. Remember that he is our deliverer. And when you begin to doubt it, remember how he's done it in the past, first and foremost in Christ, but then in the myriad of ways in which you've seen it work in your life in the past. Keep your joy grounded in Christ and not your circumstances. Secondly, care for the people that God's put in front of you. If, if God wants us, wants to use us right where we're at to make the gospel known to others, then one of the simplest things we can do is to care for the people that he's put around us. Not believing that there's somebody else out there that we need to reach, but that he's put us in front of the people that he wants us to reach. He's given you the neighbors that you have, the co-workers that you have, the classmates that you have. He's given you the unexpected interactions that you have throughout your week or throughout your day. Believe that God's put those people in front of you and care for them. Care about what's going on in their life. Pray for them. Look out for them. Help them. Follow up with them when they share something with you. I think one of the things that, that we need uh, to even be challenged in is not to lose sight of others in our own trouble. To not lose sight of perhaps the other people around us that God might want to use us to, to minister to, to serve, to love, to share the gospel with, just because we're going through something difficult. Perhaps he's brought about and is using the circumstances you have to put you in a place to share and to minister to somebody that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So care for the people that God's put in front of you, believing that he wants to use you right where you're at. But then secondly, live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Like I look at Paul and Silas singing these hymns to God while they're in prison, and the only thing, as people watch, the only thing they could ask is why? Like, what's your problems, dude? Like, why are you singing? Number one, it's midnight. Go to bed. Number two, you're in prison and just got beat. Why are you singing to God, praising Him? Why in Acts 4, when the disciples were beaten, did they go home and they praise God and, and thank God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel? Listen, those, that's the kind of life that demands a gospel explanation. That's the kind of life that says, I don't know why you do this the way you do. I don't know why you care about me the way you do. I don't know why you're reaching out in this way. I don't know, I don't know why you're able not to just lose your cool in the midst of this difficult circumstance. Why are you not so upset about all of this? Or perhaps, you know, it, it's not about that you've, you put on a perfect show on how to handle your difficult circumstances, but that but that you've been real and honest about your grief and, and your struggle and what's difficult, and yet you don't, you don't allow that to dictate the way you treat others, or you don't treat your kids that, you know, this way just because you're going through something difficult. You don't, you don't talk to others like the world's falling apart even though you're going through something. Oh, why is that? Like, how, do you, how can you have confidence that this is going to hold together? How can you have confidence that this is going to work out? How are you not just undone by this? And, and in those moments we say, friend, I feel undone. You be, be honest. God's not calling us to pretend. He's calling us to be honest. But in that moment, we bear witness to the hope that's found in Christ. That's why it says in Colossians 4 to always be ready to answer people. Allow your speech to be seasoned with salt and full of grace. And, and 1 Peter 3.15, that we're always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. It comes from living a life in word and deed that demands a gospel explanation. 
I'm not asking, I'm not asking for you to, uh, to come up with, with some impressive technique for how to share the gospel with others. I'm asking you to press into God and the circumstances that He's given you, trusting that He is at work in you and wants to work through you to make the gospel known to others. And then finally, it's simple and yet it's necessary to remind us to invite people to follow Jesus. When, when Paul and Silas were given the moment and asked the question, what must we do to be saved? They gave the simple invitation, believe in the Lord Jesus. See, there's a lot of things that we can encourage people in. There's a lot of things that we can share from our experiences. But the heart of a missionary, the calling that God has given us as a people to make known his name, making disciples of all nations, bearing witness to the, to the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, entails us inviting people to follow Jesus. Hey, what keeps you from following Jesus? Hey, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I would love, I would love for you to consider what it means to, to know and follow Christ. Hey, come to church with me. I'd love to talk more with you about this. Hey, we meet together for a Bible study or a small group. You could come and listen in and be a part of it. Or, hey, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about what it means to follow Christ? Every person who's come to know Jesus has come to know Jesus because somebody else has told them. Maybe there's a circumstance of you read the Bible and you came to know Jesus through reading about him in the Gospels. And yet the truth is God still moved in such a way that authors like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and, and others were moved along by the Spirit of God to write the Scriptures to tell you the good news about Jesus. No one has come to faith in Christ without somebody else telling them about Jesus. God wants to use you and me right where we're at to invite people to Him. This isn't a technique training. This is a reminder of the gospel and the power of the gospel and God's desire to use us in undesirable circumstances and situations to make known the joy that we have in Christ, to make known the good news of the undeserved grace of God that's found in Jesus. Let's, let's lean into that as a church. Let's spur one another along and helping each other remember the gospel, dwelling in it deeply so that it comes out of us freely, caring for the people that God's put around us, and continually taking that simple and yet bold step to invite other people to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you, would, you would allow us as your people to live on mission this year. On mission as servants, as missionaries, as a family, seeking to, uh, to bear witness to, to the God who saves, to the God who brings us together uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds as brothers and sisters in Christ who, who calls us beyond ourselves to give of ourselves for the sake of others so that others might know you and follow you so that, that our church would be built up and, and grow into to who you desire us to be, Lord. And we, we don't want to be about us and, and our plan and our kingdom, God. We want to be about you and your kingdom and your glory. God, you've called us to, uh, to embrace right where you've put us as the very place, the circumstances that you've given us as the, as the context in which you want to use us to make the gospel known to others. Stir us up with a burden for others. 
Stir us up with a greater joy in you, God, and stir us up with a, with a deep desire and conviction to make you known. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.